Well, how you guys doing? All right, three people are doing great. The rest of you are here. Hey, uh, we're, we're gonna, our, our uh, server's going to collect the offering. Thank you, guys. And as they're, as they're doing that, just a reminder and something I wanted to kind of keep in front of you a little bit is uh, in, in regards to the, uh, the Thanksgiving Sunday, and that's a, been a long tradition for us here as a church, is that the Sunday before Thanksgiving, we've got to have a great service, but we also collect a special offering. And I talked to you a little bit about that last weekend, if you were here. Um, our, our goal is to raise $10,000, and by doing that, we'll be able to provide some food, basic necessities, some clothing, uh, and, and some different things for about 300 families in our community. Now, last year, our goal was $10,000. We actually raised just shy of 18000 So anything that we go above that, yeah, which is real awesome. Anything that we go above that number is just going to be able to help that many more people. And there's a number of things that we're involved in as a church this time of the year. So there's going to be lots of stuff coming at you, and we'll try to take time to help us you know, prepare for each one of those things. But lots of service opportunities. We'll be partnering with some of our local schools to provide some gifts and some uh, things for kids. We love partnering with our local Shop with a Cop and, and uh, hosting that. It's been a tr- tremendous thing. Looking forward to continuing that partnership uh, as well as Boxes of Love and uh, Bikes or Bus. I mean, there's a lot of, there'd be a lot of things. And so if you would uh, like to be involved, you know, this is the time of the year you just want to give back. And if you're looking for service opportunities, uh, please just keep those ears tuned in because there's going to be lots of opportunity to do that and looking forward to blessing our community. And, and we just appreciate your willingness and uh, your, your, your faithfulness and your generosity there to help so many people. Speaking of which, because of all that, because of what you guys do and what God does through us, we just are so blessed to be able to see uh, so many people that are coming to know Jesus Christ as their Savior for the first time. And I, don't, I, I really don't ever want us to take that for granted. And we see people that accept Him, and it's changing their story. And this past week, we get to celebrate with just a handful of people again. And so I want to give it up big time. for Number one, give it up for Susie Sullivan, who was baptized into Christ last week. Also, uh, last weekend was Keisha Frizzle. Give it up for Keisha. We almost, I think that was second service last week. We, if, if you were in second service, we almost missed it because we raised the screen. We we're like, we're ready for a baptism. We raised the screen light, and there was nobody in the baptistry. And like, uh-oh, just kidding. Anyway, we missed the cue, and it was, you had to be there, I guess. It was, it was one of those moments that I've been, I lost sleep over that all week. <laughs> But anyway, I uh, want to give it up also for Raymond Wild. But for Raymond. And last but not least, certainly uh, Shanae Perry. I want to give it up for her also. It's really awesome stuff. And you know, we, uh, we, as we mentioned in the video, about every six or eight weeks we have a starting point gathering. And that, well, the purpose of that is for people who are newer to our church or they want to say, how do I join this church or how do I get involved in this church? And we just had one last week. We've got another one coming up on December the 3rd. But uh, last Sunday, we had a great group of people that were here. And I got kind of a, there's a picture of the group. But we, we want to welcome uh, nine brand new members to our church. And one person that's going to be baptized in the next few weeks. So just excited to, to share with all those, all those people. It's awesome stuff. Um, 
Before I jump into the sermon, one, one more just quick little housekeeping thing. Uh, we released the tickets. You know, we've been talking about the Polar Express. That's really a fun, it's just a super fun thing that we do. If you've ever been part of that, it's not just showing the movie. It's an interactive thing. So we, it'll be snowing in here, and there's wind, and there's lights, and smoke, and fog, and uh, all. It's, it's just an incredible, really cool thing. Plus the train rides, and you meet Santa, and get food, and all that stuff. Uh, so we, we released 1,100 tickets last Sunday. A th- over 1,000 are gone. So if you haven't gotten a ticket, we, we still have a few left for the 10.30 a.m. showing only. The other two shows are already gone. But if you took tickets and your plans have changed, please let us know because we do have a waiting list. Uh, but uh, if, you, if you haven't gotten them and you still plan to, to come, we do have a few left. But uh, I imagine they'll be gone in the next couple of days. Well, I'm wondering if you ever play, and I, and I, I bet you that you do play this game. You ever play the game, what would we do if we won the lottery? You know, maybe you're driving by the car, you see the billboard, it's like, oh, the, you know, the Powerball's up to whatever ungodly amount of money that it is, and you say, yeah, what would I do if I, if I won $600 million? I always say, well, you know, anything over $500 million is just, that's just too much, you know. I mean, what would you do with that? But, uh, <laughs> man. Megan and, I'll, Megan and I will play that game. Or she'll say, yeah, what would we do, Brandon? What would we do? And a lot of people, they always say, well, I would, you know, the first thing is I would pay off all my debt, you know, anything. I don't want to have to owe anybody anything. And maybe you'd say, I'd, I'd buy a new house. You know, I'd love to have a place with a, you know, a swimming pool or whatever. Maybe you'd buy a new car, you'd, whatever you'd do. You know, that's, those are how the conversations usually go. And, and I, man, somebody's really trying to get a hold of somebody in here. <laughs> Better get that. Anyway, uh, yeah, you, you have those those conversations, and and, and usually where, where we end up anyway, you look at like five hundred million dollars or something. You think that kind of money that would just ruin a person. But I'd sure like to try, wouldn't you? I mean, I, I you know, you, there's a show on TV called The Lottery Ruined My Life. I don't know if you've, it's fascinating though. These people that won this money and they just they it just tears them up. And, and I, I watch that, and there's just this part of me that, that watches it and says, yeah, but those are, those are dumb rich people. I would be a smart rich person. <laughs> I, I, would do, I would do better than they would. And, and the funny thing about, about money and being rich, it's a, it's a moving target. So they've done studies on all this kind of stuff. Uh, and and they will ask, if you ask the average person, what would it take for you to feel rich? The answer is always... Uh, a little more, more than what they have, right? There was specifically, there was a Gallup poll that interviewed a lot of people with varied incomes, and they asked, what would it take for you to feel rich? And the response is all over the place. For those who made $30,000 a year, their answer was, on average, 74000 If I made $74,000 a year, a little more than double, if I made that much, that, they said that's what it would take. And, and, and yet there are some of you in here that you make that much money, and, uh, and you would say, boy, I got news for you. You might think that that's a lot of money, but, uh, you know, it's, it, it, that's not rich. And then they asked people making $50,000 a year. And their answer was 100000 If I made $100,000 a year, that's what it would take. And yet there's some of you here that are at that level, and you would say, I, I tell you, I've got a mortgage, I've got kids, we've got uh, car payments, and with the price of groceries and whatever else, I sure don't feel rich, and you ought to see the, my taxes, my, you know, my income tax, what I have to pay. And yet, if you can remember a time when you were making thirty or forty or $50,000 a year, you probably thought, 
If I ever got to that level, man, I'd never need anything ever again. That would just, just be so much, right? And, and then you get there, what? It's, the line moved. It's a moving target. That's what happens. It's always, we live with a, a constant struggle of contentment versus coveting. Psalm 62 verse 10 commands us that if your wealth increases, don't make it the center of your life. And yet that's what most of us do. If your income goes up, hopefully you, you experience that as you get a little older and you get promoted or you, you, know, you get a, a, a bonus or you get whatever. You know, life, as you're moving on, you hope that things go up and to the right. And yet God's word says if your wealth increases, don't make that the, the center don't make that the sole focus. That's a temptation for all of us. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how little or how much you have, where you are on the scale. It's going to be a temptation for all of us. And Jesus is going to talk to us about that today in Luke chapter 12. We're going to start in verse 13. Luke 12, if you're following along, but it'll be on the screen behind me. It says that then someone called from the crowd. Teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. And Jesus replied, Friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such a thing as that? And then he said, Beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Hey, you really you don't want to miss this. Right before this happened, what Jesus says to this guy, he'd been teaching, there's big crowds of people following him, and he, uh, he was actually teaching what he said just a few verses before this, I think are some of the scariest in the New Testament. Some of the, the verses that if it doesn't send a chill up your spine, man, you're way too comfortable. Uh, here's what he said, just, just right before this, I mean, moments before this interaction, Luke 12, verse 4, he says, dear friends... Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body because they can't do any more to you after that. But we think, you know, that's pretty scary. I mean, I'd be scared of somebody that wants to kill me. He says, don't, don't worry about that. They can't do any more. But I'll tell you who to fear. Fear God who has the power to kill you and then throw you into hell. Yes, he's the one to fear. I mean, that's kind of like, that's... Hardcore stuff. That's pretty, that's pretty serious stuff. He's saying there's a lot of stuff you could be afraid of, but I tell you what you really need to be afraid of. You need to be afraid of, of Almighty God because he can not only take your life, but he can throw the rest of you into hell for all eternity. You should, you should be afraid of that. And so he's just he's laying it down. I mean, this is kind of like you think of Jesus as, you know, he's got this great you know, message of hope and love and, and forgiveness, and that's all true, but this is like hellfire brimstone stuff that he's bringing right here, and, and, the, and right after he says that, there's a guy in the crowd up near the front, raises his hand, says, hey, Jesus, uh, I had a question for you, and I imagine Jesus, okay, go, go right ahead. This has been a hard teaching. I figured there might be a question. He says, yeah, yeah, well, all the stuff about hell, that was really cute. But here's the question I have. How do I get more money? That's what he asked. <laughs> Look at it again, verse 13. After he just said that, be afraid of God. He can kill you and he can throw you into hell forever. And a guy says, hey, teacher, teacher, verse 13, 
please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. I mean, he's, you talk about tone deaf. Were you just in the room here? I mean, you, did you miss all of this? And yet I wonder how many of us are distracted by the same kinds of things. We miss it. You, you miss it. Did you, did you not hear a word that he just said? And, and we may not admit this, but how often is the number one thing on our mind money? I, I would argue it's most of the time. And maybe it's not just like in an Ebenezer Scrooge kind of way, like I'm going to be greedy and I don't, you know, not, maybe not that, but it's concern or it's how am I going to do this or what are we going to do about that or you're standing there at the... You know, at the store, and you're comparing the price of this versus that, and you're adding up. Okay, that, well, this one's a better deal. That's what, how am I gonna how am I gonna pay? You know, for uh, for college, when am I gonna get my student loans paid off? You know, how are we gonna? What about retirement? What about four hundred one k stuff? What's going on with my stocks? How am I gonna save a little money every t- every year this time of the year? Uh, hopefully, everyone has turned on their furnace by now. But I always think it's funny how we all like kind of play this game of I haven't turned my furnace on yet have you and I am not I I don't go there man I am cold-blooded the furnace for me goes on as soon as I feel a chill it's on I don't care but I I love talking to people who are like no I like to be able to see my breath inside the house first then that's when I'm like okay that's a pinch in the pennies there that's it's good But, but but what what's on the front of our mind is and why why do we do the furnace thing to save money it's money it's wealth it's possessions that's what we're thinking about most of the time i believe that's what we're talking to god about most of the time it's something that's connected there and what jesus says here basically is well i don't care that's what he said he said this matters far more to you than it does to me and it's not that he doesn't care i mean he cares about the things that we care about for sure But what he's saying is, I care a whole lot more about your relationship with me. Are you staying close to me? Like, what does our walk look like? And and I care a lot about your eternal destiny. That's why I just taught, hey, don't be afraid of people who kill you. Be afraid of God, you know. He has the power to send you to hell. This is, he's preaching this message of repent, follow me. You know, be in a right relationship with me. And the guy says, well, I want more money. And Jesus says, "Why, why are you asking me about this? What happens for us is sometimes we come to church, or maybe you go to life group, or you, you know, and you only care about the things that are on your mind, and you miss everything else. Because we're obsessed with one issue that God isn't nearly as concerned about as we are. And that's this guy. It's where he is. And what, what happens? He's, he's consumed with, with coveting. It it seems to be the case that his father has died, and now they're splitting up the family estate, and uh, he's worried that his brother is going to get more money than he is going to get. And you ever ever seen that happen? Have you ever seen coveting and greed destroy a family? We, uh, I heard a story about that. We actually have a family here at church that, uh, they had a wealthy relative. and Now, this person in our church is kind of on the outside looking in because it was a distant relative. But this distant relative had made a lot of money and uh, kind, of, kind of obscenely wealthy. 
And they hadn't even died yet. This, this guy had not died yet. And the family, his kids are fighting over who's going to get what. My gosh, that's just like crazy. Like, I can't wait for you to die, you know, so I can get your stuff. And, and then but that was the case. They're fighting, fighting, fighting. And then right before he died, he actually found out that one of the relatives had been stealing money from him. And so before he passed away, he ripped up his will and said, ah, just let them all fight over it. And so after he died, they all went out and hired lawyers and went to court to try to, you know, see who's going to get what. And at the, at the end of it all, ended up, nobody really got anything except for the lawyers. Lawyers made out great, but everybody else pretty much ended up with nothing. I heard a story about a preacher one time that was dying. And uh, he's on his deathbed at home, and he called, his, he called a, uh, a lawyer and a banker from town to come and be with him. And so they're on either side of him. And he just kind of reached out and held their hands, you know, the lawyer on one side and the banker on the other. And he just says, I appreciate you guys coming. This means so much to me that you would be here. And of course, the guys are kind of, they're honored, like, oh, glad that you called. But I didn't, we didn't know that we meant that much to you. We just appreciate the chance to be here, you know. And, uh, and the, the preacher said, well, I just, uh, you know, I've always thought that when I died, I would like to just go just like my Lord in between two thieves. <laughs> That's not very nice. Shouldn't... <laughs> <But> Jesus, <laughs> sorry if there's any lawyers or bankers in here. <laughs> but uh, Jesus says in verse, verse 15, it's kind of like warning. Look out here. This is, this is important. Anytime Jesus says the word beware, watch out, I think we ought to lean in a little bit. He says, beware. Guard against every kind of greed. Every kind. Life is not measured by how much you own. And yet everything in our heart wants to bend the other way. It says, well, yeah, it is. My life is measured by what I own. What, what, is, what is greed and coveting? Greed is it's not just having things. There's nothing wrong with having things. There's, there's absolutely nothing sinful about making good money or having some nice things. It's, it's, not the, it's not that. It's the loving. It's the heart, the, the posture of the heart. It's, it's, which then when, when I'm in love with my stuff, when I'm in love with my wealth, then it results in the hoarding of possessions. Remember during COVID when you couldn't buy toilet paper? Man, that just gave us a little sneak peek of the human heart. It's like, I, you know, we, we, we want to hoard and have it all. And, and, and loving it means you can't stop thinking about it. You can't live without it. You absolutely have to have it. And even if you don't have the money, you're still going to go get, get it. We call that debt, by the way. Greed and coveting, they're, they're kind of like best friends. Because coveting, that's a word we don't use much outside of church, but it's, it's not just loving stuff, it's loving other people's stuff. And I see what you have and I want that. And, uh, that's, and in this country, we don't use the word covet, we use the word marketing. <laughs> advertising. You know, where that's, and then the, the purpose of advertising is to whet your appetite is to make you feel that, that you know, what we call coveting, That's that feeling inside where you think, I have to have that, and I can't be happy until I have that. No matter what it is, whether it's a car, it's a house, it's granite countertops, you know, when you 
have a desire for something that your neighbor has. It could be your neighbor's Jeep. It could be your neighbor's house. It might be your neighbor's spouse. Whatever it is that you look at that and say, I want it for me. It's coveting. Jesus says, that's a sin. And it'll, it'll mess up your heart. Beware. Be on your guard. And the message that he's communicating to us, guard your heart against greed. And, and this is why this is true, because you will either be greedy in all areas or you'll be content in all areas. There, there's just not a lot of gray there. You're either content or you're discontent. And he knows this about us. He knows this is how we operate and, and studies have shown that, that greed, this, is, this was fast, I learned this this week, didn't know this, but greed and drug use actually activate similar pleasure pathways in our brains. I mean, it's almost like, you know, Jesus knew this about us. He knows the way that we're wired and how we operate. Greed and drug use, they, they, they activate these, these things. It's, both of them are, are a result of chasing after something that is just out of reach up for us. And it'll consume us. There was an article for a psychology today, a psychologist named Leon Seltzer. He argued that greed, just like addiction, is often a coping mechanism for unresolved mental health issues. And this is what he said. I love this quote. He said, it's, it's been said that you never get enough of what you don't really want. Think, think about that. You never get enough of what you don't even really want. With people addicted to pursuing wealth, their overwhelming, insatiable passion isn't about getting rich, but richer and still richer. And it's unquestionable that this is not a virtuous cycle, but a markedly vicious one. Because ultimately, their heart's desire, tragically unknown to them, isn't for wealth at all. But for love, emotional intimacy, unconditional acceptance and self-acceptance, and rich, satisfying relationships. Regardless of how obscenely wealthy a person may become... These are the things that, alas, cannot be purchased with money. The things that we're craving are things we can't buy. But we convince ourselves that I, if I get enough stuff, then I'll have what I want and I'll be satisfied, but it, you won't. It, it never, it never, it's a trap. It's a trap. And Jesus knows this. He's saying, watch out. I'm trying to give you a heads up here. I'm trying to help you avoid something that's going to destroy your life if you let it. He knows our da the danger we have of falling in love with stuff. Colossians 3.5 calls greed a form of idol worship. It says, put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. I, you just think about how that is even worded. Like there are these desires that are just beneath the surface in our life that will wreck us. He says, kill that stuff. You've got to get rid of it. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality. That will destroy your life. Or impurity, lust, and evil desires. And don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. This is never enough. I can never get enough. I can never have enough. I'll never be enough. And just like we said at the beginning of, the, of this message, what would it take for the average person to say and to feel, I'm, I'm rich? What would it take? And the answer is always a little bit more. If I could just, if I could just get that, that promotion, if I could just get that bonus, if I, could just, if I could just save a little more, if I, 
if I could save 23 cents on paper towels, you know, whatever it is. And so just like he often does, Jesus, he, he, he follows this teaching. He says, beware, beware, look out. This is a trap for you. You will fall into this hole and you'll never get out. So he follows it up with a parable, which is a story that he tells. It's a fictitious story, but it's got a deep meaning. So this is, this is what he says. He says, then he told them a story. He says, lean in, guys, lean in. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. And he said to himself, what should I do? I, I, I don't have room for all these wonderful crops. Again, this is a different time, right? Farming was the was a big big deal. You know, if you're a farmer, or fisherman, like those were those were jobs they had. That this was your lifestyle, your career. This guy, he's had a he's got a great he's had a great year. Like, what am I what am I going to do with all this extra that I had? Then he said, I know what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns, and I'll build bigger ones. And then I'll have enough, I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. This guy decides, I just need a, just need a bigger barn. That's what, it, that's what the problem is. I've done so great. This is so awesome. And so now I'll tear down what I've got to build something bigger to store it all. As Americans, we just did this. This just happened in our country. It's still kind of happening, but not, not as hot as it was a year or two ago. The value of our homes went way up. You know, pretty much everybody that bought a house before 2020, whatever you paid, your house is worth a lot more. And whatever the reasons behind that, you know, there's lots of different speculations. But the the main thing is that you can't argue with, all of a sudden, a lot of us, we got a lot of equity pretty fast. And so what did we do? People were selling their houses like crazy. Oh, man, I, gotta, I, I can make this much money. On my, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sell my house. I'm going to go buy a bigger house that costs more money, and my interest rate will be higher. How can I possibly lose? And so that's what we did. Now they've got a higher mortgage payment with a higher interest rate, higher property taxes, higher utility bills, and we're sitting there scratching our head like, I don't know why I'm having such a tough time. I don't know. You don't know what happened here. Like, what, 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 uh, I needed a bigger barn. This is, Jesus, this is, this is so practical. It speaks right to our lives. He says, you've got to watch out. And I think this is fascinating. You, you really ought to hear this. This is the only passage of the Bible where we're getting ready to see the next verse. This is the only place in the Bible that I know of that specifically speaks about retirement. It's the only place in the Bible Jesus is getting ready to talk about it. And it's not a real pretty picture. But we already know this. This is, this is not new information. How many of us, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of us, we, we know people and have known people who worked their whole lives and all they thought about was the finish line. Got to get to retirement. Got to get to retirement. Got to get to retirement. Once I check out, I'm going to cash in that pension. 401k, boom. That's it. Now I'm going to really live. And what do they do? They kick back in their recliner relaxed, lost their purpose, and they were dead in 18 months. I've known a lot of people that have done, the finish line was there, that's what they wanted. This guy in the story Jesus tells, he's got a fully funded IRA. His pension's in great shape, everything's looking so good. So he says, well, I guess I'll, I'll build bigger barns now, and I've got plenty of room for all this wealth. In verse 19, he says, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit back. Let's look at verse 19 together. I'm going to sit back and I'll say to myself, 
My friend, you have stored up enough for years to come. So now, take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. In other words, retire. Sit back and do nothing. What do you think God's response to that? Would you say, well done. You think God would say, you did it. That's it. Yeah, sit back in that lazy boy. You've earned this. What does God say? God said to him, you fool. Well, that sounds unnecessary, <laughs> right? You fool. You will die this very night. And then who's going to get everything you worked for? Now, this is an interesting point in the story. The sad irony for those who are so focused on accumulating wealth is that you don't get to keep it. <laughs> you don't even get to keep it. You know, I, I tell you this every once in a while, you, you know, I, I think a lot of us, we don't believe it, but your stuff is not really your stuff. God has given it to you to manage for a little while, 70, 80 years, and then it goes on to somebody else, or it ends up in a in a dump or whatever, wherever it goes, it's not, it's not, you, you don't get it. You don't get to keep it. What happens to our wealth when we die? It gets left to people who didn't earn it and they won't appreciate it. That's echoed in Ecclesiastes 2 verse 18. He says, I came to hate all my hard work here on earth because why? I, I must leave it to others. Everything I've earned. Kind of the, the bad news. Welcome to church. Glad that you came here today. I want you to feel good. So for, for this guy in this story, Jesus says the, the whole goal, the, this, this, this story he's telling about this man, he says where he wanted to get to was I don't want to have to work the rest of my life. He says if, if you do that, if that's your focus, you're going to fall into all kinds of trouble. It's, it's not going to go the way that you, that you hoped. It's a trap. And everybody, every time that somebody thinks they're an exception to the rule, they get so disappointed. We, we learn it's not true. We've, we've learned it painfully. Our goal should not be to retire in the sense that now I'm going to do nothing. You know, it's, it's one thing if, if you have the ability to retire from your work, that you've saved up enough. That's, that's wonderful. But it's, we, we never retire from Christ. We never retire from life. It's not, it's not a sin. It's not wrong if, you, if you're able to, you know, turn 65, 67, whatever, and you say, I'm able to, to, to live off of a pension now. That's fine. But it, it doesn't mean that your whole goal is just to eat, drink, and play shuffleboard and wear flip-flops and somewhere where it's sunny, you drive a golf cart all day. Like, if that's the goal of your life, if that's the singular focus, Jesus says you're going to be really disappointed. He says that's actually really foolish. And we've got this issue as people, as Americans and, and as Christians. We have this issue in the church, too, where this is all people want to do. They want to retire from everything. They don't want to invest in their kids. They don't want to invest in their grandkids. Uh, they don't want to invest in their church. We have that issue all, all the time where we'll ask people to serve. Hey, would you serve? Boy, we just need some people to... To, to love on our, our children. We need people to, to help in children's ministry. And I've had people just, I mean, not even trying to sugarcoat it. I've had people just look me straight in the face and said, oh, no, I've done my time. I'm done with that. Like, man, is that, that's, that's where you are? Like, with Christ? 
I'm done, I retire. That we want to retire from everything, and we don't want to teach or train anyone in anything. And then we wonder why the generation behind us doesn't seem to know anything. Well, because you don't want to invest. If I say, I just want to sit around, and the, the whole point is, I want to sit around and pretend that I'm in heaven already. And Jesus is saying, that's really short-sighted. You're not in heaven yet. If you're not dead, you're not done. I'm still working. And he says in the next verse, verse 21, this is Jesus. Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. So we see the problem, okay? That's an issue. What do we do? what's, What's the answer here? How can we walk with God? How can we be content where we are especially if everything's crying out to us every you know the, the marketing the, the coveting the the greed everything's pulling at our strings what do, what do we do and and here's the only answer i believe that god has given us a solution but we're afraid to walk there but this is it you have to invest what is temporary into what is eternal you are a steward of the things god has given you so i, I give it to you for a little while i want you to make a difference with it do something that matters. Invest into something that's going to last. What's going to last? The kingdom of God and people. The kingdom of God and people. You know, I, I speak to people every once in a while that are just so upset because, oh, I just, there's just people are falling away from the church and people are falling away from the Lord. And it's like, yeah, but, but look, are we, are we teaching? Are we teaching them and are we investing in them? Because those are the two things that you have to do. If you're going to raise up a... The, if you're going to raise up a generation of people who know and honor the Lord, you have to teach them and invest in them. That was the problem that the Israelites had over and over again. They had these moments where they were walking with God and everything was good, and then they had moments where they'd completely fallen away. In just a generation or two, they didn't know the Lord or honor Him. Why? What happened? Because the people didn't teach and they didn't invest. They said, well, they'll figure it out on their own. They, they won't. Your money is not going to last, but people in God's kingdom will last more money and more stuff isn't going to make your life better and it's not going to satisfy you and you know that it's not going to save your marriage it's not going to cure your cancer it's not going to keep your kids off drugs more stuff is not going to make more better days it will not happen but i will tell you what will happen when you're faithful in a few things god says if you're faithful with a little, I will bless it. I will use it to change lives. And he says, whoever's faithful with a little, I will put in charge of more. Now, that shouldn't be the motivation. I think that's wrong. If our motivation is, well, I'm going to give because then God will give back to me. That, we, we're not going to play that game with him. He sees the heart. But the apostle Paul was mentoring a young preacher named Timothy. And he, he told him this in the New Testament, 1 Timothy 6. He said, I want you to teach those who are rich in this world. Now, let's just pause, and you already know, that's us, right? We got that much. Who are rich in the world? It's us. So, so I want you to teach them not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. But their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works, and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. And by doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. 
God invites us into this. This is what he says to do. If you want to break the cycle, if you want to find contentment, you've got to hold loosely. You've got to have a loose grip on the things in the world because it's not yours to keep. And I know that some of us in here, we have been on this elusive pursuit for more. And we keep telling ourselves that if I just get this, I'll be happy. If I just can get my hands on this, then I'll be happy. And once I have that, once, I'm, once I have that thing or once I'm in that relationship, once I hit this level, but the line always moves. Why does, why does it always move? Because you weren't made for the things of this world. They were never meant to satisfy you. I love the quote by C.S. Lewis. He says, if I find myself craving something that nothing in the world can satisfy, then, I, then that just leads me to know that I was created for another world. You weren't made for this. There's a void in your soul that nothing on the earth can fill. Nothing. It's not going to take care of the, the need. You were created by God and for God. We were created to know Him. We were created to be walking with him and to reflect his goodness. He's the only one who's going to bring life to us. For some of us, maybe it's time to quit, to quit kind of skirting around that. And it's time to get serious about it. If you need somebody to pray with you or talk to you, we'd, we'll have volunteers and staff out in the Next Steps area. I'll be here. We'd love to, to talk to you about that. But let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this, uh, for this teaching that you, you give to us and the, the caution uh, for us. It, sometimes it's just good for us to, to just stop and really, really think about and, and reflect of what, how am I doing in this area? And, and some of us, Lord, it's, we, we need to be recalibrated a little bit. We need to be focused on what, what is it that you're calling us to do? Help us not to be, help us not to be the man that, ignores the teaching of Jesus to ask a question that has nothing to do with anything. Lord, help us to be dialed into what are you calling us to right now? What is it that you want for us right now? Help us to step into that, to lean not on our own understanding, but to trust you in all things. We ask this in the mighty name of our Savior Jesus. Amen. God bless you guys. Thanks for being with us today. We'll see you next Sunday.